Good morning. So this morning we're going to be continuing uh, journeying through the book of Exodus together, and we're calling this series Into the Wilderness, and we're exploring uh, the ways that God's people, the way that we are led into the wilderness, and when we find ourselves in the wilderness, uh, the spiritual challenges that we face as we are there, and what does it mean for us. And this morning, um, we're, I hope you don't mind, we're going to read a lot of Bible <laughs> here for a second, and um, I'm going to be in the book of Exodus, and I'm not going to put the verses on the screens, uh, because it is a lot more than usual. And, um, but if you want to follow along, I'm going to be in Exodus chapter 2, and I'm going to be starting in verse 11, and I'm going to jump around a little bit as we go through it, but I'll kind of point the way. Um, Moses, just for context, Moses is no longer an infant in a basket. He's an adult, and he's gotten to witness um, everything that's going on in his country and with his people. And so this is one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, and he looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by the well. I'm going to jump down to chapter 3. Moses has kind of went into the wilderness and he's tending to the flock. And in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And then he said, God, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look on God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come. And I will send you to the Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain." 
Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said to say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Okay. So this is a a fairly familiar story for those of you who are familiar with the story of Moses and the book of Exodus. And what what I want to point out, just reflecting on this text for a second, is that biblical heroes are not perfect. And this may seem like a no-brainer, but when I hear people talk about the Old Testament characters, the, the leaders of the Old Testament, when I hear Bible studies on this, we sort of mythologize um, these Old Testament uh, men and women of faith, and we make them seem much greater than they actually are. I mean, they're, they're good, they do a lot of great things, but they're by no means perfect. In fact, far, far from it. And when we learn, for example, Moses, sort of, a, sort of a mythic man of God in the Old Testament, lots of ink spilled about him and what he did. But Moses, let's just be certain of this, he was a murderer. And not just any kind of murderer, he was a murderer who had no shame or guilt and premeditated what he was going to do. And so I just rewind the story a little bit, and you see Moses witnesses an Egyptian harming a Hebrew. And this is not a crime of passion where he just lashes out and, whoops, accidentally killed a man. No, this is, this is Moses. He stops. He looks around, it says in the text, to make sure no one can see him. And then he fights back. He beats the other man to death. And then hides him under the sand so that no one will see him. And then he goes about his day, it seems. I mean, we don't know how he spends the rest of his day, but the next day in the text he's, he's wandering around and, and you kind of get a sense there's no shame until he's caught because he, he comes upon two Hebrew guys and they're sort of quarreling. And, and Moses sounds self-righteous and pious and holy and like he has life figured out. He says, hey, what's wrong with you two? You shouldn't fight one another. You shouldn't hit each other. That would be bad to hit somebody else, wouldn't it? (laughs) And the Hebrew looks at Moses and he says, well, who, who made you prince and judge over us? Or do you mean to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? That's called putting somebody in their place. I mean, Moses all of a sudden went to having what seems like a, an okay day to being busted, found out, and wrong. When this happens, Moses feels shame. He feels fear. Because, I mean, it is certain death once Pharaoh hears about it. Moses is a dead man. 
And so what does Moses do? You don't, you don't see any repentance or sorrow. You don't hear him say, oh, I'm so sorry. I killed a man I shouldn't have. You don't see any of this. You just see him flee. He fled into the wilderness to hide from his, his sin, his guilt, his shame, to, to spare his own life, to protect himself. And so Moses finds himself now kind of alone, tending the sheep, avoiding the problem. And it's in this moment, in the wilderness, while he's by himself, that God calls. And God calls to him out of a burning bush, which is not being consumed by the fire, and he calls out to Moses for a very specific task to free his people from the oppressors, the Egyptians. And when I read this story, I think, why? (laughs) Why, God? Why? Moses isn't the most righteous man. He's not the most faithful. He's, He's running from his problems. He's not taking responsibility for his actions. And now you're talking to him and calling him into a ministry to free your people from the oppressors. I mean, even Moses, in his own way, is sort of asking the same question, like, why me? If I go back, he says, and tell the Egyptians or or the Hebrews that I'm here to set you free from the Egyptians... What am I going to tell them? That I was talking to a talking bush? Like, really? Who, who am I supposed to say sent me? I mean, Moses even isn't quite sure. And so how does God use people, and why does he lead people and call them into the, the place where he wants them to, especially when they're not perfect or the most faithful? I mean, how does he work with us and, and what does it mean for God to have a calling on us and in our lives and why does he use people that are broken? Well, in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 13, there's this um, story where Jesus is sort of teaching and, and he's, he's talking to his accusers. People are constantly going after Jesus. And he's talking about judgment. And there were some present at the time, it says, right after he talks about settling judgments with an accuser. Um, There was this issue with the Galileans. They were doing some sort of sacrifice wrong, and so there was mixed blood. And we're not totally sure exactly what's going on, but it's well known. And obviously, the teachers of the law view these Galileans as sinful. And so Jesus wants to know, um, the, you know, whose blood Pilate mingled with the sacrifices. He says, do you think these Galileans are worse sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? He's saying, are, are the Galileans that mingled the blood of the sacrifice worse than the other Galileans? You skip down a little bit and he, he, he talks about this tower, and the Tower of Siloam that fell in Jerusalem. And this tower, when it fell, it took the lives of some people. And sort of the thought at the time was the people that died in this tower collapse, they, they obviously deserved it because 
they were sinful and they didn't obey God. And so they, I mean, that's why they have misfortune. It was sort of this sort of karma idea. If you're bad, guess what God's going to do? Smite you. And if you're good, he won't. So the ones who died in that tower, they must be bad. And Jesus sort of raises the question. He said, so are the, are the people that died in the tower when Siloam fell worse sinners than everyone else in all of Jerusalem? And of course, these are sort of rhetorical questions. Are there worse sinners? And this is sort of the point, right? Are there worse sinners? Well, before God, no, absolutely not. Now, let me be clear. There are worse sins. Like in the world, I will, I will say, murder is worse than speeding. I hope. <laughs> but before a holy and perfect God, something that has no wrong, no darkness, nothing broken, a perfect being, God the Father, before God the Father, any thing that is not perfect is a blemish that can be seen. And once you're broken before God, you're broken just like everyone else, which is why he sent Jesus, right? Because before God, uh, every sin is equal. We're not better than anyone else. Moses was certainly not better than the two quarreling. And so Jesus, as he's setting up these stories, he's, he's teaching us and he's teaching the people. He says, you know, unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. And he's, he's really calling everyone, whether they think they're good or whether they think they're terrible, broken, sinful people, no matter where you see yourself on the spectrum, the reality is unless you come to understand who you are before God and sort of confess, repent, um, you too will be separated from him and perish. And so it's a call to reconnect to Christ and sort of acknowledge what he does for us, which is why in worship we do this. Like we always sort of confess our brokenness and remind ourselves and each other of his mercy. And so just right past this, he shares a parable. And it's the parable of the fig tree. And there's this fig tree um, that the vine dresser has. And, and for the last three years, this fig tree has not grown any figs. And so it's wasting space. And so let's get rid of it, right? And of course, the fig tree is you. <laughs> and the vine dresser and the people want the fig tree to bear fruit, but it's not. And the vine dresser is God the Father. And so what does the vine dresser say? The vine dresser says, Give me one more year to see if I can get this fig tree to bear fruit. And so what does it take to bear good fruit? Well, if you read the parable, the vine dresser uh, digs the soil around the fig tree, breaks up the soil, mixes it up, digs a trench, digs a hole, you know, gets it ready. And then what does the vine dresser do? He brings a big old pile of manure <laughs> and drops it around the fig tree. And so what you start to get a sense of is that sometimes it takes a little bit of manure to bear good fruit. 
Sometimes we have to find ourselves in the wilderness to come to God and bear good fruit. And that's how God's call works. He doesn't call perfect people because there's no such thing. He calls people that are in the pile of manure. And here's the thing about manure. Sometimes it comes to us. It, it rolls downhill, so to speak, from other people because they introduce it in our lives by choices they make and actions that they take. But a lot of times, to be quite honest, we produce our own because of things we do that we shouldn't have or, or things that we don't do that we should have. And I'm just kind of looking around the room and I don't know everybody's stories. Um, I know some things about some of you, but I don't know a lot of things about a lot of you. But I think it's safe to say um, that everyone in this room has a little bit of manure in their lives, right? Or has gone through the manure. Is that true? Yeah, no, yeah, it's pretty true. No one's, no one's walking out saying, I'm squeaky clean here, right? And so here's the thing. God called Moses not because he was perfect. There's nobody perfect for God to call. God called Moses because Moses had the manure, had the experience, was in the wilderness, had no place to turn but to fully trust in God. And because he fully trusts in God, he's going to bear fruit. You see, Moses' passion for protecting his own people wasn't wrong. How he went about trying to do it was wrong. And so God is going to leverage his heart and his passion, and he's going to redeem it and do it the right way. He's going to lead Moses to lead his people through the manure to the promised land, the land of milk and honey. And he's going to lead Moses to not try to do it himself by his own power and authority, but to trust God and God's power and authority to lead people to freedom and the promised land. And God's call comes to us in the exact same way. As we're in our own wilderness or dealing with our own pile of manure, I think of the words in John chapter 10 where Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And so like Moses heard the voice of God in the burning bush, as followers of Christ, we hear the voice of Jesus calling to us to come and to follow. And just like God through Moses led the Hebrews and the Israelites into the land of milk and honey to the promised land, God, through his son Jesus, who calls us to come and follow him, will lead us to the promised land of life everlasting and resurrection. And so we all go through the wilderness. We all go through the manure. But Jesus is there leading us. And we just follow. And so may we all hear his voice. 
and go where he leads. In Jesus' name, amen.